0: Club podcast. We are here with another book review in our Penguin Little Black Classics collection. We are on to review number 46. I believe that number is correct. My notes are to be believed. I'm back this week with new, I, I don't want to keep saying guest, we'll say <laughs> co-host in trial stage, uh, Amanda. Amanda's back. Hello. (laughs) This is, yeah, this is all just one long interview process. We're going to go for another, you know, 30 to 40 episodes and see how it goes, you know. Sounds good. Until (laughs) until they stop putting in Russian literature, we're just going to keep reviewing it and discussing it on this podcast. Um, If you're unfamiliar with the show, we have been, for the last 45 episodes, reviewing these small, slim collections that Penguins put together. It's a sampling of world literature. So we've been jumping around quite a lot from different genres to time periods and even countries, continents, etc. And we're back today with two short stories by an author whose name we just debated, and we're going with Nikolai Gogol. Oh, shit, see, uh, all (laughs) right, Oh, man, I want to say Gogol so bad. I don't know why, it just (laughs) sounds cooler to me. Um, Anyway, Gogol, uh, Nikolai Gogol is the name. Uh, He was a Ukrainian, but then a Russian slash Ukrainian writer, brought some of those influences in and wrote, I guess, mostly in the realist movement, but then was also a bit of a surrealist too. We'll get into those elements in one of the stories in a second, I'm sure. Um, Amanda, how did this collection strike you up front? Anything before we jump in with some of, a formal stuff? I was um, when I first saw
1: started reading the nose. Um, I was like, mm-hmm. "Oh man, this is going to be really good." <laughs>
0: because some, I too had high hopes. Yeah. I too had high hopes. <laughs> we're coming off of um, if you're a, a dedicated listener, we thank you. Um, but you'll know that we're coming off of a couple of one reviews, which are. Not great scores. Those are pass scores. And we'll see where today ends up, but I will just say I came in with high hopes. That's where I'm going to begin the review today. Yeah. Let's start with our one sentence simile reviews. This is just what it sounds like. It's where we begin by giving a really brief simile to describe this reading experience. Amanda, uh, kick us off this week. How did you find the Gogol?
1: Uh, I said that uh, reading these stories was like being part of a conversation that was just full of inside jokes that you're not privy to and you're just kind of like listening and nodding but and like giggling along but having like no idea at all what is actually going on like not catching on
0: (laughs) yeah alienating in a way
1: yeah exactly
0: it's wild that my um mechanically my answer my simile is completely the opposite of yours but I think the feeling is very similar weirdly. <laughs> yeah. Cuz I wrote down that reading this was like listening to a story you've heard from a, a relative, probably let's just say it an older relative maybe, mm-hmm. and you've heard the story too many times, but you're you'll still sit there maybe feigning that you're enraptured, maybe you're actually intrigued again and everyone's silent and respectful but often it's just, everyone's pretending to be far more engaged than they probably truly are. Um, you know, you can only hear something so many times, I suppose, and have it still be entertaining. I'll admit, um, I'll I'll admit an anecdote here that I'd say my grandfather for whom our family's love is extremely vast uh, he was like a, just a deeply loved person in our family. He had a couple of these for me and I and I never really asked the family other family members I guess if they listen to this I'll exposing myself but I never really asked <laughs> others if if they were like genuinely enraptured or if it was just our deep love for him cuz you know out of love and respect I would I would certainly chime in or you know make make a face but it's like I I personally, as someone who has a hard time revisiting any stories, just didn't really, wasn't that engaged anymore the 20th time I heard some of them. But, you know, you do things for those you love.
1: Yeah, like on The Simpsons, the grandpa Simpson who just repeats Mm -hmm. the same story 20 million times.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I too, await the day when I'm that person. I might already (laughs) be. I already sometimes find myself cycling through points or anecdotes with friends in conversation. I'm like, damn, I I don't want to be that guy. Yeah, I want to have some I want to have new engaging ideas. You know, I don't want to be telling the same. This happened when does your does your uh, family have those stories? Uh,
1: Not really, actually. We hmm. I mean, I the stories that my dad tells about his childhood, like it's because I, I ask him specifically about it. Sure. And the same yeah. with my mom. Yeah. So it's yeah. And my grandparents both speak Korean and my well, my grandmother passed, but like, I don't, so I can't really <laughs> communicate with him too well.
0: <laughs> yeah, fair, fair. Well, unless you go back to, you know, get some, I was going to say hooked on phonics. That's not it. What's the language learned? Rosetta Stone. Yeah. You go to yeah, the, yeah. back to your Rosetta Stone. Yeah, that's great, though. And I, I think when my family did this with my grandfather, I would say it was a huge percent sincere. I don't think many of us were faking it that much. I, but again, I'll out myself and say there were at least a few times I can recall where I was my attention was not, I would say, 100% genuine, but that's okay. I feel yeah. like that's love sometimes. Of course, um, yeah. So Shaking I kind of felt, <laughs> yeah, felt that way reading this where I was reaching sometimes or I, uh, in my mind, was building up sentences or moments more than perhaps they deserved. Um, yeah. And for some reason, it it felt dull in a way that was not repetitive because, again, it's one of the stories about a man who – Finds his nose walking about town, and it's, it's a very surreal, odd story. I've definitely never read a story like that before. I don't think, but something about it just felt too familiar in a way, and mm-hmm. too kind of, I don't know, conservative almost. Um, we'll get to that soon. Did you find the text have any connections to present day life? This is what is this podcast number four during the coronavirus pandemic for us? Yes. Yeah, have we done like four, of four these? or five? Yeah, yeah, four or five. So. Um, Future listeners, that's just, again, go ahead and give that a quick Google. I'm sure you'll find plenty of info about that time period in 2020. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're we're recording through that. Are there any current connections to that or to just, I don't know, the world?
1: Um, I would say that what I picked up on is um, the the hypercriticism of uh, bureaucracy in general, which mm-hmm, um, we yeah. also get that with the coronavirus, people are really unhappy with um, the government's response to right. everything so it just it takes it's slow right and that's that's the thing with bureaucracy <laughs> so yeah it takes forever for anything to get done but mm-hmm, um yeah. but definitely i think that the stories if, if anybody is ups, upset with um, the way that the government works i think that that's what Gogol attempted with these stories
0: yeah and the, the compare contrast on that would be interesting Because and I wrote down for connection like just more broadly power dynamics between groups and Mm -hmm. I I agree in the stories it's largely government institutions or government you know bureaucrats like interacting with these people these characters Mm -hmm. Um, and he sort of he kind of puts himself at the whims of a couple powerful institutions at times but the government then there's also he kind of one of the characters uh, goes to the um, the press at one point and that is kind of a odd sort of funny scene about him trying to persuade these journalists or this like pub publisher to to interact with him um and so in some ways there's they're kind of menacing but in other ways they're more absurd and funny like the dress code stuff with the government official i think is meant to be more uh, um absurdist in a way so yeah no i agree with your connection I, i guess i just phrase it a little more broadly but yeah no that definitely is relevant to today we I mean, you and I have both been raised in governments with pretty thorough bureaucracies. That's extremely... We've never lived outside of that, so it's something that I think anyone can really connect to. If you've ever been to the DMV, as the stand-up comics would point out, then you can definitely (laughs) connect to these, I think.
1: Yeah, and my dad was Army, so we were raised right outside of Fort Bragg. So (laughs) that's... Yeah, having to deal with all that.
0: um, This is a light connection to the text. What is the current government bureaucrat uniform. Is it just like a man's suit and a woman's suit, blazer combo? I don't know what the uniform of a government bureaucrat would be.
1: Yeah, I guess it's still like business dress, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know that the current joke about... Um, West Coast uh, in the U.S. anyway, like West Coast tech people is their uniform is more like puffer puff jacket. You know, those like <laughs> kind of puff athleisure jackets. And yeah. Like wearing button down shirts that aren't tucked in is kind of mm-hmm. like the one two combo for that crowd um yeah. and i guess maybe sweaters to a degree but cardigans, yeah, I don't know right <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah cardigans i like cardigans i Me actually too. don't dislike any of those clothes frankly but i now i just need a high-powered tech job to go with it i need to match <laughs> my need to make my wardrobe match my my job um that's that's the next step that's after uh clothes first in my approach <laughs> right <laughs> let's dive into the text then. We've uh, we like to introduce those segments and just kind of you know give a light warm up about what the readings were like. But let's dig into some quotes. Um let's have you start this week, Amanda. What quotes stood out to you in terms of representing this text and what it was like to read it? Anything really memorable?
1: Well he does um Gogol does have some pretty funny characterizations which it goes along mm-hmm. with the fact that he was, you know, writing a satire. So one yeah. of the ones that I pulled was from the second story, The Carriage, and it says, "A fat landowner with short arms, not unlike two overgrown potatoes, listened with a look of the utmost sweetness as he tried now and then to stretch one short pudgy arm across his broad derrière in the hope of reaching his snuffbox."
0: This yeah, is... I love the snuff box. <laughs> yeah,
1: snuff box is like, it was in both stories, actually. I, I guess it was. that was just a a thing at that time. But yeah, yeah. I thought that was a pretty funny, I, I could actually imagine somebody like that. And it, it just got a little chuckle out of me.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'll add uh, another quote on then that I thought was humorous, or at least a moment that was. It's when... Um... And see, here we are at another name I'm not going to be able to pronounce. I don't, you guys see the level of detail I prep for these. I, you know, this is, the, I think this is, um, let's do a digression for like 10 seconds, maybe, because <sighs> maybe you do this too. I think it's because I've um, read a lot of fantasy literature in my day and like sci fi too. So often with stories like that, with names, I don't even process the names when I read. I like assign it a letter in my brain because mm. I'm like, this is all made up and I'm just going to like remember the order of the letters and like basically think of it like a letter, you know, like, Oh, it's J or K or what, you know? And I think I do that with, um, names that are like non-American too. Sometimes when I, at least when I'm reading, when I'm interacting with a person, it's completely different. But when I'm reading this and it's like, this guy's name is, I've never tried to pronounce this out loud. I don't read out loud. So it's like, (laughs) Kovalev? Kovalev?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah the, I'll try to read it like the first time that I encounter a name yeah. that I'm unfamiliar with. I'll read it the first time. And then from then on, it's just, yeah, it's just like a letter to me. Like, right. as, as long as the first and last letter are the same in the name, like throughout this, I'm just like, okay, so it's K, it's KV, it's cool.
0: <laughs> these are, I got to take these production notes and get them to the top brass of the podcast. I think we could really tighten up our production here if I, you know. Before the recording actually pronounce the names out loud, because <laughs> uh, I, I almost just wanted to say continued K. Uh, anyway, <laughs> we'll go with uh, Kovalev. Anyway, yeah. the main character, uh, he says, my dear sir, continued Kovalyov in a smug voice. I really don't know what you mean by that. It's plain enough for anyone to see unless you want. Don't you realize you're my own nose? The nose looked at the major and frowned a little. That's from page 10. It's, you know, it's a totally absurdist image. It it left me completely baffled reading it because at first I thought he was if not hallucinating that someone just looked like he had his nose or or he was seeing a per, a real person whose nose looked like his so he thought the nose was stolen and that's the whole premise of the story this man wakes up with no nose and apparently it's been stolen but now the nose is like the size of a person or it's like a complete entity and i like that frowned a little bit at the end because it's like such an odd visual that i don't know if your your brain i think will do somersaults just trying to like imagine your nose frowning yeah and just to like (laughs) what does that mean or what are the shapes of that and and so i think it's got these little ambiguities i I could see that being frustrating for some. Some people think mm-hmm. like if you go into the text knowing and embracing that aspect of it then it can just be kind of a funny little thing um and i like that that status and spectacle bit it's again a lot about appearance and clothing and he's intimidated by the nose because it's wearing the dress of like a superior person or right. some kind yeah. of like advanced level government bureaucrat instead of just the average one that he is and so it's you know this nose all you know um I was going to say dolled up. What's another expression for dressed up anyway? Well-dressed nose. So yeah, I thought that was pretty humorous.
1: I I enjoyed that too. (laughs) Yeah.
0: It's a nice moment in that story. I thought that was pretty funny. Unfortunately, there's like 20 pages after that for for the worse, I think not for the better. Um,
1: Yeah. I think that if, if the, if Gagal had kind of like taken the time to actually like describe The nose itself, like the the height of the nose and like, how did it grow? Because later on it's returned. I don't want to ruin it, but it's returned. And then it's like, it's small again, right? Unless he's got a ginormous human sized nose. (laughs) like <laughs> mm-hmm. on his face. Yeah, and, it, and it's,
0: of course, in the in the tradition of this absurdist type of story, right. it's unexplained and it's not meant to be logical. You right. know, it's not meant to make sense, uh, which is, you know, I can accept plots that have that as the premise, right? Like, this isn't going to make sense if you know that going in then you can assess it through different lenses, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I don't mind the light spoilers. It's OK. No need to apologize. We do try and stray away from them on the reviews. But really, that doesn't even ruin or change much of, of the story. That, frankly yeah. the quote i gave ruins more of the fun stuff of the story anyway that's like one of the funniest <laughs> moments in the story for me so you know did you have any other quotes that were i don't generally positive things you enjoyed
1: uh yeah there's um another thing that i enjoyed about google was uh the his play with syntax so uh his stylistic mm-hmm. and, and rhetorical devices are you could tell that he's a careful writer Um, in in the sense of style. So one of the things um, that I pulled was also from the second story, The Carriage. Um, The multitude of bottles, long, slender flagons of Chateau Lafitte, and tubby, short-necked carboys of Madeira. The splendid summer's day, windows thrown wide open, dishes of ice on the table, the nethermost button. On the gentleman's waistcoats left undone, the oversized tailcoats and crumpled shirt fronts of the guests, the crossfire of conversation drowned by the general's booming voice and washed down with the champagne. With champagne, a scene of perfect harmony. So here we see a bunch of like opposites going on, right? So you have mm-hmm, these long, yeah. slender uh, champagne bottles, but then you've got the short-necked bottles, and then you've got this. Uh, almost like violence as far as crossfire of conversation, drowning of the booming voice is very warlike. And then you have the opposite where he says, it's a scene of perfect harmony, which is the opposite of, of what he had mm-hmm. just described there. I I thought that was really cleverly done.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, the chaos is certainly harmony to a certain type of person, like yeah. a military person, maybe. Right, <laughs> Somebody yeah. accustomed to, yeah, chaotic scenes, noise, battle, and this... The conversation takes on those characterizations or that characterization. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably one of the better sentences you pulled of the entire two stories, I would wager. I didn't pull that one either, but that's an excellent one to pull. That might yeah, truly be one of the better just like constructed sentences, intriguing, fun payoff at the end, the contrast of it, the the harmony bit at the end, which is just a nice twist on... That's such an unexpected conclusion, right. but it gives you a great sense of what the narrator is setting up as expectations and things to be, I don't know, considered normal or enjoyable.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: and I think, too, the narrative style can be kind of playful. There's at least small moments, and I think maybe that's what I came away from this feeling disappointed by is that for, for the absurd premises or the premise of at least one of them Maybe the the amusing, entertaining, odd parts were too small, but mm-hmm. there was this fun narration on page 31 I pulled where he's kind of just poking fun at the... The socialite status of the the Russian, I guess, I think it's Moscow, maybe Leningrad at the time. I don't remember the city they're in, but the, the society there and how it's reliant on like story swapping and just people trying to tell stories and gain status. Mm-hmm. And it says on uh, 31, these events came as a blessing, meaning him in the nose, him <laughs> losing his nose came as a blessing to those socialites indispensable for any successful party who loved amusing the ladies and whose stock of stories was completely exhausted at the time. It's a great because it comes at the end there. Um, And I won't say what happened to the nose, but there's there's an ending. And yeah, it just kind of it comes across as this petty, almost narrative interjection of like mocking the whole affair, how it was this huge traumatic ordeal that is soon forgotten. And it's just another party anecdote that it really has no bearing on anyone's lives. And it just becomes another thing you can memorize for chatter. And so I think there's a couple digs like that throughout that kind of I don't know, undercut the significance of such a society, you know, capital S like, Oh, it's very formal. And Oh, we have all these um, pretentious things. And so, yeah, I, I thought that was a pretty decent way to conclude, especially because it comes at the end and is a pretty brief or abrupt transition to that sentence where it's just like, and here's how come it or not how come, but and here's how it was all irrelevant in the end.
1: Right. Right. Um, I also picked up on some of the, the satire Uh, in in the way that he's kind of like biting towards certain things when he talks about um, the collegiate. So when he talks about K (laughs) Uh in the notes. And the quote that I pulled for that one is uh, the collegiate assessors who earn this title with the attainment of various academic certificates are not on any account to be compared with those collegiate assessors who acquire their position in the Caucasus. So here he's saying there's two mm-hmm. different types because I, I, in in the footnotes later, I don't know if you had these same footnotes, but apparently one of the ways no to footnote. like, yeah, one of the ways that you can, uh, at that time, you could get around um, having to do actual like testing and like uh, elections mm. and all that stuff was to do it in in the Caucasus. so. Uh, so that was the difference yeah and so the this particular so k in this story right got his through the Caucasus rather than through actual work and merit and so that's what he was but but my reason for pulling that was yeah you can tell that it's obviously a dig right but if you have no familiarity with with the culture of the time and the politics of the time it just it's lost on you. you 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 have to either like read footnotes or do your own research in order to like yeah really get it. And to really, I think appreciate the story because those other digs and stuff won't, won't have as much meaning for you when he talks about yeah. like particular political institutions at the time.
0: I can feel my shoulders tensing up as you describe your, cause mine had no footnotes. The penguin classics themselves so far the the these ones i think the regular penguin editions are actually usually pretty thoroughly done Mm -hmm. but like these don't really have any notes in them at all they're pretty much left for you to interpret Uh um god that would have been so helpful because i think (laughs) i literally just opened up the book because i you know i'm making notes as i read pretty pretty frequently right and i'm pretty sure i circled like the capital C caucus term, like every time it showed up just being like, Oh, is that, that's like a political group or some subgroup in their government or some, you know, it's designation or title or whatever. But I, there's no way I would have put together what you just described. Cause I don't think the narrative ever explains that. It doesn't.
1: I, yeah. yeah, it doesn't. And like the, the book that I have with these two stories is actually a collection of Gagal's works, um, including his mm-hmm. uh, two plays, two of his plays and it actually um tells us like in this in my book it's talking about how um, this story in particular uh, almost didn't make it past censorship like he had a really hard time getting it uh published and he had to change a couple of things but i'm just like if if it was if the censors were just so anti this story for several reasons. It's like, but I can't really pick up on like why it would be censored to that extent.
0: Oh yeah. Me neither. Then that I means mean, well, yeah.
1: it's lost in translation for us. And I, maybe it's just cause you know, it's my reading of it, but I feel like as a modern reader, it, you, you would not get the real, uh, Purpose behind his stories.
0: One of and of all cross cultural interactions. I mean, my man. If nothing from reading all these Penguin collection classics have, has shown me, if nothing else, the cross cultural satire stuff is like nearly impossible. Almost every. Yeah satire we've encountered in this collection or even even humor as we know it's like extremely tough to translate that unless you're doing like physical comedy or something yeah but it's just so difficult to make that readable to someone else and let alone funny to someone else and the closest we've come is swift and even that i remember rating and reviewing the swift stuff they threw at us and i said two which is crazy because i love swift but It made sense when I read it because I just thought somebody's going to have to do so much research to just get these jokes. There's Mm -hmm. just even and he starts at much more absurd premises right away. And and they're like the eating children, the, you know, Moss proposal like that stuff is it's such a more extreme idea proposed to you so much more quickly and aggressively that I think people get the extremity right away. But this does have some subtlety. And yeah, there's a lot to be interpreted. Did you find anything else in it uh, noteworthy in terms of the writing or the style?
1: I know that was pretty much it It was just for me this the the rhetoric his play with language and then like the fact that it was a satire and you could pick out that it was satire but not yeah. understand. that.
0: I'm <laughs> going to just throw in a quick, I just, I just noticed, I didn't plan it this way, but there were two stories in the collection, The Nose, which we've talked about a lot, and then one called The Carriage, and I just noticed that I pulled all three of my quotes from The Nose one, and I'm certain <laughs> I just diagnosed the reason why. It's because another thing this uh, review collection endeavor has taught me is that I just absolutely hate reading fables or fairy tales or anything resembling them. I think it's like I'm just allergic to them at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, every time we've come across those in the collection, that's also have been pretty bad for me just in terms of enjoyment uh and that carriage story kind of struck me like one like it was written granted it's lengthier but it didn't have I, I i guess i just had an aversion to it because it struck me as just like a long kind of retelling of a fable like have fable like language to it it had a that kind of summary of theme at the end that i really dislike and anyway so i didn't pull any quotes from that my bad you're good. I, I mean, p- two of my quotes are from there, but yeah, I didn't yeah. even think
1: about it as being um, fable-like. But now that you say it, it kind of is, especially the ending. I feel like,
0: yeah, if there's ever a moment at the end of your story where you take a paragraph to tell me what the character just learned, I just <laughs> that's. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason we do moral stories. I don't have an issue with it, like in its in general. It's just I don't want to read them any anymore. At least not like that. Um, so anyway, yeah, I didn't pull any quotes from that one, but that's okay. You, I think you represented them very well. And again, you pulled maybe the best quote from either. So in the (laughs) description with the, and I, that was another thing too. I didn't say when I should have, I just remembered to say it now. Some of when he sets up scenes like that, it goes really well. The dialogue Mm -hmm. in this one didn't do a lot for me. It was kind of summary chatter back and forth. There was some there was some character work in there. He does good with does well with pauses. A lot of his characters pause when they speak in ways that I thought was kind of funny and there's like these verbal ticks. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It was it was when scenes were getting established that the most fun was had, it seemed.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so, yeah, that's a great quote to represent that. Um, let's move on to the educational part of the show, the literary corner, where we teach the listeners, I don't know, something literary, if we can. <laughs> I pulled something this week, and it looks like we're going to do this one together because um, we pulled a very similar thing. I'll set this up and then talk me through what you thought of it. Sure. We pulled the the absurd, the idea of the absurd, or uh, the literary term that became popular to use was called the theater of the absurd. Um, and I'll read the Penguin uh, Literary Dictionary definition here. It's a term derived from the existentialism of Albert Camus and often applied to the modern sense of human purposelessness in a universe without meaning or value, something that we in 2020 and pandemic times don't need reminders of, but whatever, here we are. (laughs) Many 20th century writers of prose fiction stress the absurd nature of human existence and the the works evoke the absurd by abandoning logical form or character or dialogue together with realistic illusion. And I think that is like such an apt description of the nose, the story, because it has such realistic adherence to the setting. And there's so many references to monuments in the Russian city they're in, which I, I again, think is Moscow. And so, yeah, it just sounds like that so much. Did you find it to be a, I don't know, potent use of that?
1: I thought so. Yeah, I thought. That was the perfect term, actually. The, the idea of the absurd. It's, I mean, it even says in some of the uh, stuff that I was reading about the nose that it's. Um, yeah. Th- they used the adjective absurd several times. So. Right. Yeah. It's it's very much. It and, and the thing the the, po- the part that really is it's the realistic. Illusion. So the realistic aspect that you were right. pointing out was the setting, and I also think that if we had replaced the nose itself with just another character, with a person, right, uh, some other like mm-hmm. higher-ranking official or something like that, it would the mannerisms and stuff that the nose portrayed in interacting with his.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't his host
0: <laughs> yeah as, <laughs> his person yeah his person his yeah. person <laughs> um owner would be sounds so weird i, but, know, I mean that's right? what we say about i was thinking of it like dogs though i mean yeah. we do say dog owner
1: that's true but then dog, k yeah. would be the one who is the owner of the nose then right or
0: right yeah, yeah. yeah. when the nose is acting with his owner or it's yeah. i guess it's owner you can't gender a nose i mean jeez. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think, I think host is pretty good too. It's, yeah. you know, your gracious host to your nose.
1: <laughs> but the way that he, that the nose, I keep saying he, because it's a government, he has a government. He dresses him as
0: a he in the story to be yeah. fair. Yeah. He, he believes he, there's a he pronoun to describe the nose. Like it's dressed up like a male bureaucrat in like male bureaucrat dress. It has yeah. like some coat or pins or something like that.
1: Yeah. So uh, he, the way that he interacts, I think, is very realistic, in in, in that, I yeah. think anybody in that position in in real life would have acted the same way.
0: I think. It, I guess I just found the ending, which we won't spoil per se, but the the way the narrative wraps up, the narrator kind of interjects and basically says, "Oh, and that was just random, wasn't it?" It just felt, I don't know, it felt very middle school essay cop out type stuff to me, where it was just kind of like, "I did that silly thing, right?" Oh, can't imagine why I did that. Now I think the actual contents of the story have, you know, a good amount of depth or whatever. Yeah. But I found I didn't find the conclusion to be particularly strong in any way. I again found it to be a very limp like shoulder shrug at the end, which mm-hmm. is never what you want where the, you know, narrator just kind of backs I mean, that could also be part of the absurdist presentation though, is that Again, though, that feels heavy handed where it's just like if your narrator at the end is literally like that was wacky and meaningless, wasn't it? And it's like, OK, cool. That's <laughs> Is that what you want me to think? Like, eh, OK, thanks. I didn't need you to say that because the story made no sense. I mean, I think I got that from reading it, but OK. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's I think that is the best literary term applied to that. The carriage to me, though, had none of those elements, one. And two, it really read to me like a fable, which we've already kind of talked about, or like a fairy tale.
1: I think that we could. I
0: or not a fairy tale, sorry, fable. It had, fable, it had no yeah. fantastical elements in it.
1: I when I first saw that we were going to be talking about the absurd, I was I knew immediately like the nose, yes. So I started trying to figure out whether I could give those characteristics to the carriage, and what I think is that there are some. Uh, elements of the absurd in mm-hmm. the carriage in, in the ending in particular um, when he uh, the main guy's actions at the end to avoid the stuff that was happening. Yeah. Um, I thought that his actions were absurd. I mean, that's also like perhaps realistic yeah. for some people, but his, his actual actions are just, Unreasonable and, and like, what kind of sane person would do that? So
0: <laughs> I think, well, do you mean we can again? We try and avoid spoilers, but who cares here? Yeah. Um, you, you mean when he's like trying to avoid meeting with the man, there's a guy coming to his house to like meet up with him. The entire army him.
1: is is coming to meet up with him, right? The entire regiment that to was meet stationed. the carriage, yeah, to, yeah. to take yeah. a look at the carriage. But, um, and he had overslept because he got completely wasted the previous yeah, night, over.
0: Yeah. yeah. And so he I, that part didn't the whole like tell him I'm not here, I'm gonna go to bed, like I'm so exhausted. That part, I, that didn't read. I guess the absurd part would be the, like, again, that reads to me as another kind of military or bu- bureaucratic commentary when like the guy has to show up with the whole army, you know, he's just like, he's on this like petty errand to see if he wants to buy this carriage and he shows up with the whole crew, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. But no, I, the, the actions of the main character, I didn't find absurd at all. He was just like, tell him I'm not here, whatever. I'm hungover as heck. What, leave well, he's,
1: he said that, but then he, he told the um, the servant girl to tell them that he wasn't home, and instead of staying yeah. in his room,
0: right, he goes and hides in he the room. hides
1: in the carriage that he was going to try right. to sell
0: to. So, like, right, who? Why? And that that's true. That was unexplained. <laughs> in his Gosh, yeah, that's a great call. I don't <laughs> recall why he ended up there. I just remember. Yeah, that's a great point. I, yeah, that didn't read to me. His motivations didn't read as absurd. I guess you're not wrong though. The plot of that is a bit random, yeah, at best. Yeah, I hadn't given that any thought because he, he could have just turned him away. I guess interesting. Yeah, I well maybe more of an absurdist tale than I gave it credit for. It didn't. I guess coming off the nose too. It didn't. It it didn't pop. It didn't stand mm-hmm. out because the nose is has such an obviousness to it that the other one didn't strike me that way.
1: What's funny too is that you were saying that you really disliked uh, the carriage, but I was reading Mm -hmm. um, a bit about the carriage and Tolstoy. I mean, everybody knows Tolstoy, but apparently, of Gogol's works, he said that the nose is, or not the nose, sorry, that the carriage is, uh, he said, let me quote uh, Tolstoy, who said he was tempted to call it Gogol's best work. So Tolstoy thought that it was Gagal's best work.
0: <laughs> I'm just going to keep. I'm going to keep brushing up against the shoulders of the literary giants on the pod. I don't. I'm, I'll be the one that bears the burden. I don't understand. I, that's like so mind blowing to me. That makes no sense.
1: But that just <laughs> it, makes me think again that the reason we're not picking up on on how amazing these stories is is because we yeah, weren't right. there at that time and we're not familiar with with. Russia <laughs> so right yeah.
0: Extremely tough translation to be sure yeah. yeah and I bet that comes across too in the The generals of like verbal Ticks and the interactions they had Yeah before we get to our ratings Then which I think we're pretty much on the cusp on Let's do the uh, Russell French in Memoriam what's good about it segment This is when we just give genuine Praise for something that we may have just bashed Which well, we were we were pretty nice on that we were pretty positive um, Overall I would say I did like some of the government bureaucratical just commentary. The satire was light, I think in the end for me, but there was some absurdism in there with the titles and the behavior of the officials and stuff. And so I think that stuff was playful, could have been better, I suppose, more poignant. And I like some of the way they talk to each other and some of the, how that characterization comes across with mm-hmm. the way they speak to each other or speak down. I think it, it was, you know, fun. I think again, I could have been pumped up of course, but was entertaining. It also, I last weekend just watched a a satirical comedy called the death of Stalin, Mm. which is just what it sounds like. Um, It's by the person who wrote um, Veep and also, ah, gosh, what was the British? There was a British show he wrote, too, that was hilarious and uh, movies. Anyway, he basically only wrote, writes political satires, mm-hmm. but it reminded me significantly of it in terms of, like, jockeying for status and the absurd push to, you know, claim power in, in certain regimes. And yeah, The Death of Stalin was a, I thought, hilarious version of it. And to me, it was much more readable than this, granted different political times and decades and whatever. Right. But um. I, yeah. Having this be bumping up right against that. Cause I watched it while I was reading this. I mean, the death of Stone I thought was like excellent and quite observant and funny. And then coming back to this was difficult. It just didn't grab me nearly as much, mm-hmm. but it did have those moments. So.
1: Yeah, I agree. So I also. Enjoyed aspects of the satires, particularly his play with uh, the absurdities of, mm-hmm. of all the bureaucratic stuff and the jockeying yeah. for position. My, my favorite aspect of his writing was just his style, the, the ability to set the scene really nicely and to, to play with language the way um, that he did. I, I enjoyed that a lot.
0: It did feel quite readable now because yeah. you focused a lot more on that than I did in the quotes you chose. And just, I, now that I look back and reflect back on that. Yeah. Maybe I just went in with the expectations of, um, more absurdity or so I don't know. Maybe that colored my reading. But you're yeah. right. It, it was quite readable. Um, though I almost came around. I don't know what my rating is going to be. I'm going to make you go first. Um, what are you going to rate it then? Ours is just one means don't read this at all. Pass. Two means maybe qualified. And three means definitely read it. So what do you think? So I originally I was going to say like one for sure.
1: But then mm-hmm. I slept on it last night. <laughs> and now I'm like thinking uh-huh. it, it might be a two. Okay I think I, it, I would go with it too simply for the the rhetorical analysis that you can do with the language. I think it's a lot of fun. If you're into um, language play and stuff like that, I think that it's really good. And if you like stories yeah. that are just silly, then yeah, great. If you want a story that has like a deeper meaning, this is definitely not the story for you unless you are very familiar with. 19th century yeah. Russian politics.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. An important qualifier, though, because as yeah. soon as you said it doesn't have depth, I like hesitated, and then of course the qualifier is everything. Because I think it really must or does. But yeah. I didn't know what it was. At least not um not really explicitly. I'm going to stick with a one, though. I, yeah. I can't ignore my first reading. It was just too strong in terms of my disinterest in it, and I just wasn't that engaged. Mm-hmm. And I think either it's just and I wrote this down, but I think maybe The Onion has just spoiled us in in a way, or not only The Onion, but just culturally. We have a lot of satire. Obviously, we live in like postmodern times when it's just a different beast, and it's much more, I don't know, accepted, popularized, whatever. And our comedy has just gotten weirder and weirder. Mm -hmm. I I just thought of all the comedies that are absurd these days, and I just watched Death of Stalin, as I noted, and it's just... Maybe it was... um, a confluence of things working against this collection. But yeah, I just couldn't recommend reading this. There's just so many avenues that current readers can access for good satire or absurdist comedy. And I just don't think this did either particularly well. If your interest in Russian history, literature, or culture will take you to it. Then yeah, you know, go for it. I think I kind of turned around a little bit. You turned me a little on this one <laughs> during your review, but no, I think, yeah, I, in the broader context of recommending time spent, I don't know. I think it's a pass. Go watch Death of Stalin on Netflix. I thought it was excellent.
1: I, I would definitely take a watch since we're doing nothing else except you'll, reading yeah, these stories. You'll <laughs> exactly.
0: You'll know quickly if, you like the, if you'll enjoy that one or not. It um, doesn't pull punches, which is important for covering that time period in place. Any final thoughts then on this one before we close out, Amanda?
1: Um, I just wanted to point out that even mm-hmm. though that It was all a satire, and and he was censored and stuff like that for the nose. uh, I was reading on Wikipedia that actually he considered himself a supporter of the czar at the time.
0: I saw that too. Yeah, Yeah. I did. And there was a whole Wikipedia page for the short story "The Nose," which I found ridiculous, but that does hint strongly at its influence. That it must be extremely significant historically or culturally. And again, it didn't, you know, that's okay. It doesn't have to resonate with modern readers just because of that. But it did have its own little, yeah, Wikipedia page. I kind of glanced over it, looked at some of the thematic interpretations and all that stuff. So
1: it's crazy. I didn't know that it had the nose in particular had its own
0: Wikipedia page. It yeah. has its own page. Yeah. What a, What an honor. What a designation. <laughs> i think though we are going to wrap up our thoughts on the nose i don't know i don't can't keep going to wikipedia lengths on that one i think (laughs) i'm tapped out (laughs) i've said my piece on this uh on this set next week we've got coming up i'm gonna do awkward pause here while i look at it did you look at it amanda
1: Pepis, that story about the london fire
0: Oh, yeah, The Great London Fire of, like, 1600 or 1600s-ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that should be interesting. I'm excited, actually, to get back to nonfiction. And I'm also eager to start recommending things, because I think this is three ones in a row for me, so apologies to the listeners, but hopefully the pod is entertaining enough to make it worth your while, even though we haven't gotten a good recommendation in a couple of weeks now. Just go read The Yellow Wallpaper again. Yada, yeah,
1: yada. yeah, it's great. Oh,
0: man, let's add a quick, a quick addendum onto that one. This was not, by the way, based on feedback, though. I'd welcome the feedback, please send us any thoughts or follow up. Um, our email is on the stump one, the number one at gmail.com. But, um, This was not, I found this out by just Googling things after we posted the pod. Did you know that Charlotte Perkins Gilman was like a weird race scientist, like a sociologist? She was like a big, like inferior, we have to keep the inferior race under control person. Did you know that?
1: I knew that she was racist. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I had
0: no clue. I mean, granted, (laughs) at this point, you can't act surprised, you know, pre a certain year. You just got to like accept what's coming. But I had no clue. It showed up. I think it was like in her i don't know britannica page or i forgot where i encountered that i just i saw it and i kind of did a double take and was like oh shit we didn't mention that at all <laughs> granted i don't think it has any thematic relevance to the two or three stories we read yeah but, there was nothing it, but, about
1: race in, in any of those yeah. stories but in her land there's I, I picked up a couple of where i was like uh, yeah, oh there's, yeah, there it is <laughs> yeah
0: we've been doing some supplemental reading and there's been a couple terms thrown around with the. Uh, the the these people who are I think all Americans they are interacting with people of other countries and it's yeah the language is, gives it away it tips the <laughs> sure. maybe that's why I looked it up maybe that's why I found it out her yeah her racist views um so anyway that's a quick that's our editorial addendum to that's like our correct we'll issue that correction again i don't think (laughs) it actually has much bearing on the three things we talked about Um, but if we cover her land uh which is still in the works perhaps maybe we will bring that up then all right we'll have to yeah Um, we would
1: definitely have to
0: (laughs) for sure interesting well yeah keep an eye on the feed for that if we do the follow-up to her land which about halfway through and um Yeah, we'll see if that comes up. Amanda, thanks again so much for joining. It's been a pleasure, even if the reading was not 100% so. And yeah, we'll check in next week about The Great Fire in London. We'll see you between the classics.